Proverbs 19.20 says that we as the people of God must listen to advice and accept instruction that we may gain wisdom in the future. So if you have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, we're in the middle of a passage that finishes up our study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians. Colossians 4 verses 7 through 18. And this section of scripture is all about how we need each other to live a life that honors and exalts Jesus Christ above all. This has been the emphasis of this book from the very beginning. It is Jesus Christ. And it is the fact that He is above all as the divine Creator, Sustainer, and Ruler of all things. He is the One through whom redemption, forgiveness, and reconciliation with God is found. It is found in Jesus Christ alone. And we who are His followers ought to testify to Christ's glorious Lordship by what we do, by what we say, and by what we live for and adore. We ought to declare as preeminent He who is preeminent in everything we think, say, and do. And that is a staggeringly high calling. And that's why Paul reminds us here at the very end of this letter that we are not alone in that calling. That God has given us the body of Christ to aid us and to help us in living a life to the glory of Jesus. And that is why I have said every week as we've been going through this final passage that any successful effort to exalt Jesus Christ above all, either in our lives, our families, or in our churches, is always a team effort. We need each other to live a life of ministry for the glory of Christ. Now such a belief of needing and accepting the presence and influence of others is highly unpopular in our culture today. If you want to get a good read on our culture, just look at the inspirational quotes that get passed around on social media. It'll make your skin crawl. Here are just a few of those quotes that stood out to me this past week. And listen to the emphasis in each one of these inspirational quotes. First one, you are enough. Second, go it alone. Third, be true to yourself. Fourth, those who fly solo have the strongest wings. And this one takes the cake. If you want to be strong, be alone. We live in a culture that values independent self-sufficiency. You are enough, you are all you need, so be true to yourself and be alone. And when in reality, Scripture teaches the exact opposite. As humans created in the image of a triune triune God, we were created for community. God Himself said it is not good that man should be alone. That's in Genesis 2.18. And so what did God do? He said, let us make man in our image. And He created male and female. He created Adam and Eve, the beginning of the very first community. As the poet John Donne wrote, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the whole. If a clod be washed away by the sea, even Europe is the less. So just as humans, we need each other. We need each other. But especially so as Christians. 
Because the Bible teaches that we as believers are the body of Christ and individually members one of another. And it is when we are joined together and held together and work together as Ephesians teaches in Christ that we build each other up in love. We are made strong, not by being alone, but by being together. Our author Paul the Apostle recognized this great truth. And so as he concludes his letter concerning how to live a life that exalts Jesus Christ above all, he finishes by including with his letter, as it were, a group photograph of all those who were serving alongside of him at that time. Thus showing us that those who live a life of ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all never do it alone. They always do it together alongside of others. We saw this back in verses 7-9 through through two men named Tychicus and Onesimus. We saw that every Christ-exalting life and ministry is always made up of those who are simply willing to serve no matter where, no matter what, no matter when. It is made up of those who simply want to serve the body out of love for Christ. This is the most vital aspect of a Christ-exalting life and ministry. Those who serve. But there are also other many ways, there are many ways that we can and should serve though. And Paul provides some examples of how to do that in verses 10 through 18. Last week, we saw in verses 10 through 11, through three men named Aristarchus, John Mark, and Jesus Justice, that our service to Christ can be expressed by those who encourage the ministry, right? Through our unique testimonies, if you remember, of service, or of restoration, or just simply of Christian presence. Well, this morning we're going to see in verses 12 through 18 that our service to Christ must be expressed not only by being those who encourage the ministry, but also by being those who pray for the ministry. That's in verses 12 through 13. Those who remain in the ministry. That's in verse 14. Those who receive the ministry. That's in verses 15 through 17. Finally, those who deliver the ministry. And that's in verse 18. And I need to warn you, we're probably only going to make it through that first one, verses 12 through 13. So this is the final lesson of the book of Colossians. If we are to exalt Jesus Christ above all in our lives, in our families, in our churches, we cannot be loners. We must be members of the body of Christ, serving and living right alongside each other. It takes all of us together. It takes a group photograph. And so with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Colossians 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness 
that He has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the Word of God who spurns all who go astray from His statutes, for their cunning is in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this moment. Father, I thank You that You have spoken. I thank You that by the power of Your Word, You created all things in existence out of nothing. By the power of Your Word, You sustain everything we have ever seen and the things we have never seen by the power of Your Word. And we thank You that by the power of Your Word, You speak into darkened minds and dead hearts and You you speak light and life. So Father, I pray that You would do that today. Father, I pray that you would revive our hearts through the teaching of your word. By your spirit, plant it firmly deep in us so that we might be made and molded in your hands to walk this next week in the path of your commandments. We ask this for the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ who is worthy of all worship, all praise, and all obedience. Give us grace in these moments to hear His voice and follow Him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've seen those who serve and those who encourage. This morning we are reminded of another vital element of a ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all. And that is those who pray for the ministry. Those who pray for the ministry. That's in verses 12 through 13. And the example Paul gives here of a man who served Christ and his body in such a way is a man named Epaphras. Epaphras. Paul writes in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Now I've already been introduced to Epaphras back in chapter 1, verses 7-8, through if you'll remember, where we read that the Colossian church, that is the church that Paul was writing to here, first heard and understood the grace of God and truth, that is, they first came to understand the saving gospel of Jesus Christ and all the wondrous truths that Paul outlines in this letter. They first heard that gospel message after they learned it from, Paul says, Epaphras of whom Paul says in verses 7-8 through of chapter 1 that Epaphras is our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So just from that passage, that section right there, we learn that Epaphras is a man 
was the man who first founded the Colossian church and who has been since ministering to them faithfully ever since. In other words, Epaphras was one of the elders of the Colossian church and most likely the teaching elder. Well, after ministering to the church there in Colossae for about eight years, some serious false teaching and false teachers had crept into the church. Some serious doctrinal compromises and compromisers had crept in, saying, Christ is good, but He is not enough. You need mystical experiences and visions and private revelations. You need religious formalism and ceremonies and aestheticism. You need Christ plus something else in order to please God and live a life that is abundant and free and full. Because Christ is good, but the teacher said he's not enough. He's not enough. And Epaphras' faithful ministry of Jesus Christ to that congregation over all those years was in danger of being slowly overthrown by Satan's subtleties. And so out of deep concern and utter desperation for his people, Epaphras travels over 1,200 miles from Colossae to Rome to let Paul know what's going on in the Colossian church and to gain his support. Hence the writing of this letter that we've been studying where Paul exalts the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ above everything and everyone else. Paul supports Epaphras doctrinally and he also supports Epaphras personally. That's why Paul mentions here at the end of the letter, just like he mentioned at the very beginning, that Epaphras is, he says, a servant notice of Christ Jesus. Right? Paul keeps repeating this. He is a faithful minister of Christ. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. In other words, Epaphras is doing the Lord's work, Colossians. He is a servant of your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. So the implication is clear. So support this man. Follow him. Encourage him as he exalts Christ in your midst. And then Paul gives just one example of why Epaphras was such a faithful servant. And that is because... He served the church, notice, by always struggling on your behalf by confronting false teachers. doesn't say that, though I'm sure he did. By fervently preaching the word. It doesn't say that, but I'm sure he did. He served the church by always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Epaphras served the church by praying for the church. He served the church by praying for the church. This is another essential element of a successful Christ-exalting ministry. It is those who pray for the ministry. There will be no effort or ambition that truly exalts Jesus Christ above all if there is not God's people praying for that effort. That's why Paul says back in verse 2 of this chapter, continue steadfastly in what? In prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time pray also for us. See, God is calling all of us to engage in this most important and vital ministry of prayer. And so he lifts up Epaphras as an example of how we ought to serve one another by praying for each other. And notice Epaphras did more than just pray. Paul says here that Epaphras was always struggling on their behalf in his prayers. 
See, this involves more than just flicking pleasant little thoughts up to God throughout the day as you're going about your ambitions and your desires and your plans. This involves getting by yourself and agonizing, struggling, and wrestling with God in prayer. Just like Jacob, who in desperate dependency wrestled with God in Genesis 32:26, so we are called to wrestle with God on behalf of people's souls and spiritual livelihoods as well. If you find prayer hard, that's good because we are called to do hard work in it. We are called to struggle in our prayers. We are to struggle in prayer. That word is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 9.27 of a racer who disciplines his body, who drives it, who pushes it to the point of agony in order to accomplish something. It's the same word used over in John chapter uh, 18.36 which is translated there as fight. Epaphras was fighting for their spiritual lives in prayer. It's the same word used of Christ in Luke 22.44 where Jesus says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That is how Epaphras prayed for his people. He fought hard in prayer. And he spiritually wrestled to the point of agony for the Colossian church. And that's how we are to pray for each other and for the ministry of this church as well. If we do exalt Jesus Christ above all in our lives, our families and our churches, if God is going to do a work for the glory and honor of Jesus in this place and in our lives, then we must be praying. We must be praying. We must give ourselves to intense spiritual wrestling. And what do we pray for? What do we pray for? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So we've learned that Epaphras was a pastor. We learned that Epaphras was a prayer warrior. And what we find out here is that both his preaching and his praying was laser-focused on one single solitary goal, that those under his care would grow to become fully mature in Christ and fully assured of all the will of God. He had a single passion that the believers in his church would be mature both in what they believed and in how they lived. It was such a burden to him that he traveled over 1,200 miles just to, to get some assistance in that regard. This is to be our burden as well. All of us can and should be serving the body of Christ here. We should all be serving and caring for the body of Christ here by praying for one another. By lifting up each other before the throne of God. So that we would not be blown about, but rather, as Colossians 2, 6 says, rooted and grounded in Christ, steadfast in living and mature in our doctrine. This is the essential element of a ministry and of a life that exalts Jesus Christ above all. It is praying for one another and others are praying for them. It is those who pray for the ministry. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. 
Those were the other two sister cities located next to Colossians there in the Lycus Valley. And Paul says here, I bear him witness. (laughs) In other words, Epaphras didn't go to Rome on vacation. He was burdened by the spiritual state of his congregation the whole time. All 1,200 miles, even as he's sitting there in in Rome, asking Paul to minister on behalf of his congregation, he's praying as Paul is writing. That's why Paul says, I bear him witness, he has worked hard for you. That expression, worked hard, carries with it the idea of intense pain. And that gives you, by the way, just a little glimpse into a shepherd's heart. When believers under your care are threatened, endangered, or struggling, it hurts. You feel it. Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, Apart from such external trials, there is the daily pressure upon me of my concern for all the churches. As a pastor and as an elder, you really start to care for people. (laughs) And those cares can get very heavy. And so we see here, what did Epaphras do with his cares? He didn't say, well, I'm going to distance myself from these people because I don't want to be burdened by everything. I think that's often sometimes what we do, is it not? Is it entirely possible that there has been some of us that have not ever wanted to be in close fellowship with each other? We're so scared of saying hello because we think one day we might have to say goodbye. If I go to prayer meeting, I might just find out what people are really going through. And I'll be burdened. But here we are called to take on that type of life and ministry and service. We are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Epaphras bore the burden of his church. But what did he do with those burdens? He did what 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to do. Cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Epaphras knew that the Lord cared for him and he knew the Lord cared for his church and so he prayed. So he prayed. He struggled in prayer for them. This was half of Epaphras' ministry. And it was completely unseen. Now to be sure, as a faithful pastor, Epaphras struggled in teaching God's Word as well, right? I mean, without God's Word, they would be, as Ephesians 4.14 says, children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So Epaphras surely struggled to teach God's Word with them so that they would become mature. Even 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable so that the man of God might be complete. He might be made mature, equipped for every good work. So Epaphras labored hard, I am sure, in his studying and in his teaching. But as much as Epaphras struggled for them in his teaching, Paul draws attention to the fact that Epaphras struggled for them in their praying, in his praying. Paul says to the Colossian church, listen, this man, Epaphras, you've only seen half of his ministry. There's the entire other half that you've never seen and you never will see. It's his ministry of prayer. And what I want you to see, right? I mean, that speaks volumes to me as a pastor, right? But this is me preaching to all of you guys too. It is that combination of faithful preaching 
accompanied by faithful praying that produced a ministry of eternal impact for the glory of Christ. And that's the vision I want you to catch this morning. That accompaniment of faithful preaching and faithful praying is what created a ministry that exalts Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. Are you burdened for your children? Are you burdened for your families? Are you burdened for your friends, this community, your fellow church members? Then what must we be about? The proclamation of Jesus Christ and the praying of His people. No other way. No other way. That combination of faithful preaching accompanied by faithful praying produced a ministry of eternal impact. We know this because it produced this inspired letter from God. A letter that helped preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Lycus Valley for at least another half century and even today calls us back to Christ alone above all in our doctrine, in our affections, and in our living. Praise God for Epaphras. Praise God for His prayers. Praise God for those faithful servants of Jesus Christ who struggle on behalf of others silently, out of sight, in their prayers. As Hebrews 6 verse 10 says, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name and the serving of the saints as you still do. During His lifetime, Epaphras met a lot of resistance to His ministry of Uh, of Christ both from within his congregation and from without but what we'll see in our last message of this series we'll see that but because Epaphras was found faithful the effects of his ministry reverberate for all of eternity it's all because he prayed for those he ministered to and alongside of how about you We're studying this last... I mean, this is not about filling our heads. It's about a Christ. A Christ who came. A Christ who lived, who died, and who rose again. A Christ who is exalted above the heavens. The one whom angels sing about day and night, being worthy of all worship and praise. This is about this Christ being honored in our lives and in our families and in our churches. And it won't be accompanied. It won't happen apart from us praying. I originally thought I was going to be able to make it through this entire passage today. You knew better. But I can't. Because listen, I need to be praying for you all. And you need to be praying for me and for each other. Because what's the purpose of any of this? If Christ is not exalted above all. We don't build a name for ourselves. We seek to magnify His name. We must never forget 
that one of the most vital aspects of a ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all is always believers who are praying for it. I understand there are certain times when we cannot get involved in ministry physically like we wished we could. But there is a ministry you can always engage in. And that is the ministry of prayer. One of the most vital aspects of a ministry that exalts Christ above all is always believers who pray for it. It can't happen any other way. Psalms 127 verse 1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. We can do much ministry after prayer, ladies and gentlemen, but we can't do any ministry until prayer. We can do many activities, but we can't do any ministry. And that is why I say that one of the most important ways that you can serve Christ and His body here at Grace Chapel is by praying. By praying. Alongside the preaching of the Word, the service of prayer is the the most vital aspect of any ministry that will ever exalt Jesus Christ above all. Let me give you just two historic examples that stood out to me as I was going through this lesson. First, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, he was one of the greatest missionaries of all time who contributed more to the spread of the gospel to foreign fields, particularly China, than anyone in recent history. In short, Hudson Taylor lived a life of ministry that exalted Jesus Christ above all. Guess what you'll find sprinkled throughout his life and even before his life? The ministry of prayer. When Hudson Taylor was 15, he wandered into his father's study and read a gospel tract. Cut with conviction, he fell to his knees and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. Later, his mother, who had been away, returned home from a trip. When Hudson Taylor told her in that moment the good news, she said, I already know. Ten days ago, on the very date when you read that tract, I spent the entire afternoon in prayer for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son had been brought into the fold. And then two years later, when at the age of 17, Hudson Taylor told his parents that he had, been, he had just committed himself to going into inland China as a missionary, they then proceeded to tell him, though they had never told him until this point, that they had been praying secretly for that very calling on his life since before he was even born. Those who pray are an essential element of a ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all. Another example is Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, preachers of the modern era. Through his faithful proclamation of the gospel and the word of God, thousands of people came to Christ. His sermons became international publications, and his Sunday messages would address anywhere from five to 10,000 people on a single Sunday when they would come to hear the word preached by him. Many people at that time wanted to know what was the secret to his ministry success, and Charles Spurgeon never had any doubt as to why his ministry had had such an impact during his lifetime. He would lead inquirers down into the basement, below the sanctuary, into what he affectionately called the boiler room, that is the powerhouse of the church. There, he would introduce the people that came to visit with a hundred people who would be found in prayer constantly, lifting up the members in the ministry of the church before the throne of God. And then Spurgeon would say, this is my secret, our people pray for me. So those who pray are an essential element of any ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all. A vital part of every ministry that exalts Jesus Christ above all always involves those who pray. So again, let's put our feet to the truth. Let's apply this to our everyday lives. How can we grow as individual followers of Jesus Christ into becoming better servants of Jesus and a greater blessing to His people through prayer? Here's just one suggestion I want to give you. 
Make praying through our members and our ministries a part of your regular quiet time with God. Make praying through our members and our ministries a part of your regular quiet time with God. And we've done something to help you with that. Here's your homework, right? You always like your homework, so here it is. When you leave today, in the church office in the back there, on the table is a stack of yellow papers. That is a list of all the current membership and friendship families that come to our church. What we'd like you to do is we'd like you to take one of those sheets, fold it up, and put it either in your prayer journal or in the front of your Bible. And tomorrow when you pray, pray for just one other person from our faith family that day. Pray that they would, as verse 12 says, stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God for that day. And if you pray for just one new individual every day from Monday through Friday, you will have prayed over the entire body of our church in one year. You will have prayed for each single person's spiritual maturity and understanding. And if all of us do that, think of this. Each person in our church will have been prayed for by the other believers in this church for over 200 times in one year. Think of that. Think what the Lord might do in and through us if we would heed His word today and like Epaphras, serve the body of Christ by struggling on each other's behalf in prayer. It'll be hard work, it'll be a struggle, but it will result in a Christ-exalting ministry that reverberates for eternity because we became those who pray. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week, but for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 4, 12-13, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He who is the answer to all our prayers comes. To that end, as the men come forward for communion today, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for how Paul concludes this letter. Father, we acknowledge this morning that Jesus Christ is above all. He is worthy of all worship and worthy of all praise. And we need Your grace to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Father, help us not to neglect the fellowship of grace or the throne of grace in that regard. Father, I pray that You would make us a church of Epaphrases who struggle on each other's behalf in prayers, who care enough to be burdened with the burdens of others so that we could cast those burdens on You. Father, I pray that here You would raise up a true and enduring ministry that exalts Jesus Christ. I pray that it would begin as we pray. Do a work in all our hearts. For the honor of Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.